Sometimes a lot of things happen at the same time, and it almost seems like a coincidence. And so we're going to do something different uh, today. Uh, and it's going to be because, well, one, the news cycle is kind of slow right now. And two, because too many things, I mean, a lot of big news has been happening in the baseball world. And I, I feel that I feel I want to talk about baseball a little bit. I also think it's important because I want to acknowledge and spend a lot of time on probably one of the greatest sports casters in history and go back in time through the 67 years of Vin Scully. This is Gene, and you're listening to Dumbasses Talking Politics. Hey, hey, this is Gene. Welcome back to Dumbasses Talking Politics. All right, you know, it, it just... It, it just seemed to me, I'm a huge baseball fan. If you don't know that, um, that that must be a shock to you. If you know me, I, I'm just an absolutely huge baseball fan. Well, a lot of things are happening. I'm a Dodger fan, and the Dodgers are only 47 games. Their magic number is 47 games. The team can't seem to lose. There was a big important trade that might affect the Dodgers' chances in the playoffs or getting to the playoffs. I'm reading a book. And one of the greatest announcers in history has just died. So I figured, you know what? Let's 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 skip that. Let's skip the news today. Let's let's just talk about. I mean, this is still news, but it just seemed like everything is kind of focused. That it's almost like God is telling me you should talk about baseball. Talk about something else. Talk about something happy, because the world is such a mess. We got monkeypox, war, everything. Maybe we just need to step back. And take a look at some fun things for for once. And so, I, I, even though a lot of the things I talk about on my podcast are happy, I mean they're funny. I try and keep it funny, but right now it's kind of slow. And and too many things have been happening. So it starts off. There was a book that I had heard about. I don't know where I heard about this book. It was way back. I found the book. It was kind of expensive because it was out of print. Uh, it's called Ten Innings at Wrigley by Kevin Cook, and it is about the wildest game probably in Major League history, a game that, a game in which the score ended up at the end of nine innings to be 22 to 22. It was against the Phillies and Cubs. And I thought to myself, how interesting could this book be? It's really interesting. It's an extremely easy read. It, it gives a lot of baseball history. It gives history of the Cubs, history of the Phillies. Not too much history because that's a problem. Things I didn't know about. And then it goes through each inning of that game. And it talks about the players and it talks about, you know, the how the the attitudes or the um the attitudes and the uh, stories the players have and what kind of what kind of yeah well I mean attitudes how were they were they good moods were they bad moods who which players liked who and what players didn't what players didn't get along things like that and the Phillies of course were an up and coming team they were uh, the number one team at the time and the Cubs were pretty much in last place <laughs> as they've been until they finally won their World Series. And then it just went through the game and talked about every out, every hit, 
and there were about 60 hits in this game. There, this was an absolutely wild, wild game. And what was inter- what's fun about the book, I'm a lot older. This, this game happened in 1979. Baseball was having problems. They'd already gone on strike. The umpires ha- were on strike during the time of this game, so the umpiring was really iffy. But it was just, it, it was a, it's such a fun book. And I, I got through it in two days. And like I said, I, I, I saw this book, I added it to one of my, uh, to one of my wish lists. And then Amazon notified me that the book had gone down in price because they had made more copies. So I said, screw it, I'll, I'll, I'll get the book. And then I started reading it on Friday and I fin- finished it on Saturday. It was that easy a book to read. I mean, it's not a short book. I think it's like 300 pages. Yeah, about 240 pages. But it is such a fun book. And I just got into baseball again. And it, it makes you realize there's a story in every game. Or you can make a story in every game. I've even thought of a maybe a book, a story I can make out of just a baseball game. But it was a great book. And... It got me into baseball and got me thinking about baseball. And then we've also got my Los Angeles Dodgers. My Los Angeles Dodgers are now 11 and a half games up in the division. I've started the magic number countdown. And if you don't know what a magic number is, a magic number is the number of wins the Dodgers need to have or the number of losses the Padres need to have because the Padres are in second and they're comfortably in second. They actually are holding a, a... San Diego Padres. They're actually holding a playoff spot. And how you figure out the magic number is, and you see this, they do this in football, they do this in baseball, hockey. How you figure that out, it's the total number of games that are going to be played plus one, which in this case is 162 plus one. So it's 163 minus the number of wins for the first place team. The Dodgers have, I think, 70 right now. And the number of losses from the last, the second place team, which the Padres, I can't remember what it is, is 50-something. So it ends up taking that all the way down. And then every day, if the Dodgers win or if the Padres lose, one game is removed. So right now it's, up, it's down to 47 because the Dodgers have are just winning left and right. And the Padres are kind of playing about 500 ball right now. So it only takes to lower that. It only takes a Dodger win or a Padre loss. And of course, if the Dodgers win and the Padres lose, that's two games removed. So that's how magic numbers work. So when you see it at at the end of the season, you'll see the magic number will come up in the baseball stats. That's how they calculate it. You'll see usually starts about 10, 15 games. They start doing the magic number thing because it's getting kind of close. So, but the Padres made a huge move yesterday. And by the way, I have no script for this. Uh, I'm just going right now off this just because I'm winging it is essentially. So the Padres made a huge move yesterday. I'm a little surprised they did this uh, seeing how their team is, but the Padres have some problems. Uh, They have a really good hitter in Manny Machado, but they're a little light on the hitting everywhere else. Um, none of their players are doing exactly 300 batting. They're, they're, they're not doing great. But the Padres did get Juan Soto. Uh, and that was a huge, 
huge deal. Juan Soto, probably the most sought-after baseball player in the league right now. Um, he's not doing great this year. I, he, he's, he is a perennial MVP. He has a .294 uh, lifetime batting average. He's been over 300 the last two seasons. He's consistently hitting 30 home runs. And what they figured they'd do is they'd have Fernando Tatis, which is their second best hitter. And I, I'd say he's, a good, he's, he's up there with uh, uh, Manny Machado. But you'd have Tatis, Soto, and Machado batting back-to-back-to-back. That would make a solid-looking team. I mean, that would be a scary lineup. Now, do I think this is going to really affect the Dodgers' chances in the playoffs or going through the playoffs? No, because the Padres also have pitching problems. Uh, the other problem is the Padres really have more of an attitude problem. They they are they act like a bunch of children. So you have Tatis, who, of course, broke his arm over the, over the winter, by doing something you never do as a as a baseball player because it's actually in your contract. I personally think they shouldn't even pay him while he's out. But he was riding a motorcycle, fell off the motorcycle, broke his arm, and he hasn't even played one game in the season. He now just now it's August. Okay, the season is August September, and the season's over. And now he's beginning to swing the bat. So this guy could be another two to three weeks out, and. He hurt his team, but that's the kind of maturity this team has. The other problem the Padres have is their pitching. Their pitching's just not that good. They have a couple of guys that good starters, but their uh, relief pitching is not very good, and they they just they just have problems. And they've been known to go against teams that are like San Francisco or Colorado or teams that are not very good and just lose. So. The Padres do have some issues, uh, and their hitting is still an issue. We'll have to see what happens when Soto shows up. Uh, the The other thing that the Padres got, they also got Josh Bell. Now, Josh Bell's also a pretty good hitter. So they've solidified their lineup. I believe they were saying it's going to be Tatis. It'll be Tatis, Soto, uh, Tatis, Soto, uh Machado, then Bell, then Hosmer. They're going to have to move players around a little bit because Josh Bell is a first baseman and so's Hosmer. So they're they're going to have to they're going to have to make some they're going to have to make some changes. And I got to tell you, they did give up very little to get this guy. They uh, gave up Luke Vogt, Voigt and C.J. Abrams, which I I. I they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're not hitting the way they're supposed they were expected to be hitting. So I don't think they're a loss. Now, Robert Hassel the 3rd, that might be something. He is a the number 1 prospect that the San Diego Padres have. I think honestly that's what the the what Nationals wanted to acquire. So that's a pretty good pickup for the future. The Nationals are basically rebuilding. They just won a World Series 2 years ago. And now they're looking to rebuild because the the team team is going nowhere. Um, They got James Wood, Mackenzie Gore, and Jarlin Susanna. I don't know who those are. Those are uh, Wood, Hassel, Wood, and Susanna are all 
basically minor leaguers. So they're they're really trying to uh, they're trying to build their roster. Now the Dodgers right now again they are in really good shape. So I, I don't think it's going to make much of a difference. Their pitching is out of their mind, and they still don't have a bunch of relief pitchers because they're on the injured list. They're all coming back. So the Dodgers, at first, they thought they would go after Soto. But our GM is an animal. He is a great GM. The Dodgers GM is a great GM. It, he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to do this Soto trade. Now, mind you... This is the GM that had no problem getting rid of Machado when he played for the Dodgers. He just let Machado go. And I'm kind of curious to see what's going to happen with Soto when the Angels have to actually sign this guy. Because I think he has a year left in his contract. Soto was offered a $440 million contract from the Washington Nationals and he said no. So... I suspect that Soto actually doesn't want to play in the East Coast. He wants to play in the West Coast. I think he would have taken the Dodgers or the Padres. The Padres really were hot for him. Um, so we'll, we'll have to see what's going to happen with the Padres. I, I, God, if they if they offer that, if I mean, they're paying Machado $300 million. If they pay another player $300 million, $400 million, oof. And then they still have Tatis they have to worry about. So it's going to be interesting to see. Now let's get to the really sad news. Uh, Vin Scully passed away yesterday. Um, he passed away at 94. He wasn't young. He was has been a sports announcer uh, since... Oh, I can't even remember when. He, he's been a sports announcer since for 67 years. He started out doing uh, college football games, and then in the 50s, he was hired by the Dodgers to do the Dodgers while they were still in Brooklyn. And then he moved to the to Los Angeles in a Los Angeles in the fifth in the late 50s when the Dodgers played in the Coliseum. Uh, I have been listening to Dodger baseball since probably 76, 77. I mean, I was, a, I was like six, seven years old. My grandmother was a huge Dodger fan. She took me to my first game, and my first game was opening day against the Padres. Uh, two pitchers you probably don't know if you don't. Bob Welch for the Dodgers. And uh, Gaylord Perry for the Padres were pitching that day. Gaylord Perry was a... And matter of fact, Gaylord Perry has always been my hero because he was a knuckleball pitcher. He was about 45 years old, I think, when he retired. 45, 50 when he retired. He'd been pitching forever. and uh, But he was a dirty pitcher. He was, like all knuckleballers, they try and jerk with the ball. He's been thrown out of the games for spitball, putting spit on the ball for filing the ball down so it moves better, for even put Grecian formula on the ball once. He's been thrown out for just about every dirty pitch he could find. And again, you know, 50 years old, you ain't, you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. But so I've been listening to Vin Scully for a really long time. And another thing is, um, I knew him. I, had, I was an acquaintance. Uh, he, I went to school with his daughter. I, we were in the same class. Uh, for eight years, uh, her name is Kelly. I think she's an adopted daughter. We went to school for about eight years together. 
Uh, I've met him a few times. Uh, he went to the same church that we went to. So I saw him all the time in church. And he was just a really friendly guy. Now, mind you, you know, I was 10, 11, 12. It's not like we're friends. We're going out having drinks together at the time. But I would always say hi. He would always say hi back. We'd talk. He's given me a baseball. I mean, he's just really one of the nicest guys you could ever meet. And when I found out he died last night, and you knew it was going to happen. I mean, he was really old. But when I found out he died yesterday, I was actually quite upset. I was watching the Dodger game and the announcers had kept it quiet because the Dodgers weren't informed of it. And a lot of the players knew Scully. So the announcers didn't make it, didn't make the announcement about it. San Francisco wasn't talking about it. It was, it was kept quiet. The coach wanted to, Dave Roberts wanted to actually bring the team together and bring it up privately he canceled the uh, interviews, post-game interviews, so there nobody was going to be interviewed. And then at the end of the game, which the Dodgers won, at the end of the game, uh, San Francisco, in a classy move, put a tribute to Vin Scully on the board. Apparently, the Dodgers did find out about it. The, the players did find out about it. Um, there was some upset, I'm sure. Because I mean, Vin Scully used to always go to the games. I mean, he still went to the games. And he still made appearances. He he wasn't, you know, completely... He didn't just disappear. He's like Sandy Koufax in that way. And the kicker with the Dodgers, one of the reasons I love them, they are a big family. They really are a big family. And, and the players, they're, they're all tight. I'm sure there are some players that don't like each other. But for the most part... It's a very tightly knit, and it's always been a tightly knit team. And uh, I, I was shocked. I, I couldn't believe. You know, you, you know, someone's going to pass, but that doesn't take away the shock. Well, one of the things I want to do, I want to honor him by showing off some of his greatest hits, and there are a bunch of them here. So, but i don't i i i think that it would be really nice just to go over and some of his greatest calls and and uh talk about him a little bit so let's go let's go to just to show you how long vin scully has been a fan of the fan has been working on this here is the first one it's a very classy move this is he was the, uh, I'm sorry. This first one is when Vince Scully was calling the Yankees versus Dodgers 1956 World Series, and this and he was calling Don Larson's perfect game. To this day, the only World Series game pitched that has been a perfect game. And he was there making this call. I mean, geez, think how long ago that was. 1956? Listen to this call. God, he sounds young. 
uh, the other thing about about that, you notice that the, there's no audio control. As, with that, those older games, if the fans are cheering, you hear it all. You can barely hear the announcer. Now, a lot of the stuff I got from MLB.com, they actually have a very nice piece on there going over not just his top, not just his best calls, but the top 20 calls that he's had. I pulled a bunch of them down because the Don Larson one I, it was a, a big deal. And, and he was the one that made the announcement. He's the one that they play when the Dodgers, when the when they actually replay that game, they play him making the uh, making the commentating. So it it has become a staple. They don't use the Yankees broadcasters. This next clip is kind of a sad one. It involves Roy Campanella. Now, if you don't know who Roy Campanella is, in the fifties he was the Dodgers. Uh, he was the Dodgers catcher. Uh, and he was one of the first black folk to actually join uh, Major League Baseball. Him and, of course, Jackie Robinson, both on the Dodgers. And uh, he had gotten into a car accident, and he was paralyzed from the neck down. Uh, shoulder, he could move his shoulders a little bit, but, I mean, basically his shoulders down. He was paralyzed. And they did a they did a celebration of him one night at Dodger Stadium. And here's Vin Scully just talking about Roy Campanella. Right now at the Coliseum, all of the lights will be turned out as Pee Wee Reese wheels the chair that holds Roy Campanella across the first base foul line and heads him towards the pitcher's mound. Let there be a prayer for every light. And wherever you are, maybe you, in silent tribute to Campanella, can also say a prayer for his well-being. Now, this happened in 1959, and this is when the time when the Dodgers actually didn't have Dodger Stadium yet, and they had to play in the L.A. Coliseum, where they played football. So, I mean, the Coliseum was huge. They, they did that a couple years ago, where they, they replayed a game in the Coliseum with the old-time uniforms. But that's another thing with Vin Scully. Extremely Catholic. Roman, devout Roman Catholic. When his wife died uh, because of a, an overdose, uh, an accidental overdose with, you know, pharmaceutical drugs, she, he basically prayed to Mary, the Virgin Mary. And that's how he recovered. And he's, he's written about it. So he is an ex extremely devout Catholic. And, and he says this often. And he's a patriot. He is very pro-America. He even stopped. And we're going to talk about, well, I'll hold off on that until we get there. Let's take a look at the next one. This next one happened also in 1959. And it's when the Dodgers defeated, I forget who they were playing. I, I don't remember. But the Dodgers were, I think it's the Cubs they were playing. Uh, they beat this team and then they were going to the World Series. And it's based, it's a fun one because it said, we're off to Chicago to go play the World Series. Now, what was special about this World Series, besides the fact they won it, is that the Dodgers were in seventh place the year before. And you got to remember something. It was very simple. You had, you had the American and the National League. That was it. So these guys would actually just go play each other and whoever ended up in first ended up in first and they ended up going to the world series so here is vin 
announcing that the Dodgers win, they're going to the World Series. They're going to Chicago. Big bouncer over the mound, over second base. Up with it is Mantilla, throws low and wild. Dodgers scores, we go to Chicago. The Cinderella team of the National League, for the first time in history, a seventh place club has come back to win the pennant the following year. And it had to be the Dodgers. God, that so sounds like him. You can't tell how... You you can tell it's him, and this was in 59. He sounds exactly like he did in 2014. You He is unmistakable with that voice. Now we're going to jump all the way to 1965, where Vin Scully is announcing for uh, a game being pitched by his good friend, Sandy Koufax. And this game, this is Sandy Koufax's fourth no-hitter, but this one was a little bit more special. This was a perfect game. Listen to Vinny on this one. Two and two to Harvey Keene. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung on and missed a perfect game. That was another thing Vin Scully did a lot. He knew when to shut up. Vin Scully was a storyteller. So here's the thing. Baseball, slow game, right? I think any of us would agree. It can be a slow game. Or you've got to go through nine innings, whether it's 47 to 1 or 2 to 1 or everyone's taking a timeout and things like that. One of the things Vin Scully did was tell stories. He was a master storyteller. And you wondered as a person, and we would say this all the time, is where does he come up with these stories? I understand he's in baseball forever, but he's not just making up stories from 40 years ago. He's talking about the players today. And he has information. It's just like, where does he come up with this? He was fun to listen to. He can make a boring game that the Dodgers are losing 10 to nothing. He can still be one of those guys that you just play him in the back background, do your thing, and enjoy. But when excitement came, unlike a lot of announcers, he knew when to shut up and just let the person on the television or the radio take it in, take in the excitement of the crowds. He did this with Kirk Gibson's home run, which we're going to play a little different here. It's going to be a little longer. But, but Kirk Gibson had a lot of insight into that game that I never knew. And I think it's worth playing the entire three-minute clip. And you also hear things that, that Vin Scully said that usually the shorter clips don't play. But if you watch that home run, you see Kirk Gibson rolling the bases. Well, once Gibson hit first base to, to go, Scully just shut up. He didn't say a word. And it wasn't until Kirk Gibson was about to touch the plate that he actually said something. He just let the listener absorb everything. This next clip is legendary, iconic, and will be played for the rest of time. It's Hank Aaron's 715th home run. One ball and no strikes. Aaron waiting. The outfield deep and straight away. Fastball is a high drive in the deep left center field. Buckner goes back to the fence. It is gone.
marvelous moment for Atlanta and the state of Georgia. What a marvelous moment for the country and the world. A black man is getting a standing ovation in the Deep South for breaking a record of an all-time baseball idol. And it is a great moment for all of us, and particularly for Henry Aaron, who was met at home plate not only by every member of the Braves, but by his father and mother. He threw his arms around his father, and as he left the home plate area, his mother came running across the grass, threw her arms around his neck, kissed him for all she was worth. Now, I'm sure today people would get upset that he called him a black man, or I don't know what you're supposed to call people of color. I didn't call him a person of color. But you have to understand something. This, this home run was huge. Because in 1974, when this happened, there was still lots of racism. The, uh, the uh, Civil Rights Act was not even 10 years old. Um, Aaron had broken the record, not just from a icon like Babe Ruth, a white icon like Babe Ruth. And... Hank Aaron even said when he was running the bases, if you watch the video, you'll see two guys come in and pat him and congratulate him. He said he was actually scared. He thought somebody, he'd been getting death threats. And those people running on the field, he actually just like, don't touch me. He didn't know if they had knives or anything. This is the kind of thing he was living for. He was living with. And the fact is that Scully points out that a black man has taken over the record from an icon. And all the cheering by all by the people from the deep south. He's basically acknowledging the change that America has gone through, the, tr the real transition that America has gone through, that we can celebrate a black man. And I thought that was an iconic call. I thought it was one of the best calls ever made by him. Matter of fact, I may not even get rid of that, that little clip because it is just a beautiful call. Now, we can't talk about the history of the Dodgers without talking about, and I know Dave is going to know, Fernando Mania. We cannot forget Fernando Mania. It was huge for about three years. Well, here's Vin Scully making the call for Fernando Valenzuela's first no-hitter. I think he had a couple, but his first no-hitter and becoming the first Mexican in the MLB to throw a no-hitter. Listen to Vinny here. Fernando ready in the strike two pitch is hit back to the box dribbling to second Samuel on the bag close to first double play Fernando Valenzuela has pitched a no hitter at 10 17 in the evening of June the 29th 1990 if you have a sombrero throw it to the sky I saw that game I gotta tell you I, I thought I was scared I thought this guy is going to get the first. I forgot he stepped on the, the second baseman, stepped on second. And even if he didn't get the guy at first, it would have just been a fielder's choice and he wouldn't have blown the no-hitter. But it, just, to, just to show you how excited everyone was when Fernando was... And Fernando was incredible at that it, it, during those years. Uh, the how excited I was, we were all watching this game. I was like, oh God, don't get a hit. And and my grandmother sat there and said, oh, no, he just touched second base. It's not going to be a hit. It's going to be a fielder's choice. So he could make it and that's it. All right. And then finally, you can't 
speaking of great pitchers, we've had Larson, we've had Suter, uh, I'm sorry, Suter, no, it's Chicago Cubs, wrong team. We've had Larson, we've had Koufax, we've had Fernando, you gotta have Kershaw, and here he is, 2014, announcing Kershaw's first no-hitter. And there is one out to go, one miserable, measly out, 0-2. He's done it. Clayton Kershaw pitches a no-hitter. Okay, all of those, all of those announce, all of those calls were iconic. Every one of them was iconic. A wonderful piece of baseball history. But without a doubt, the most iconic call came when Kirk Gibson in the I, what World Series, 1988 World Series. When Kirk Gibson came up with torn up knees, two torn up knees, and hit a home run in game one of the World Series against the A's. And eventually, they won the World Series. Uh, Gibson never played again after that game. Because he just couldn't walk. And you could see he couldn't walk. Now, what I didn't know is apparently the Dodgers actually play the radio of Vin in the dugout. So they're listening to Vin Scully talk. And one of the things Vin Scully did say was, hey, doesn't look like Kirk Gibson's going to play. And Kirk Gibson actually thought, no, screw that. And he told the bat boy to get a, a batting tee ready so he can start warming up. I'm. It's a three-minute clip, but I think it's really you hear everything when it comes to the actual home run call. And you hear Kirk Gibson talking about, it was Vin Scully that actually got me to that at-bat. Or I probably wouldn't have gone up, come up. Listen. Took place here at Dodger Stadium on October 15, 1988. Not only did Vin call it, he inspired it to happen. Vin, to be part of what many consider to be one of the greatest sports moments of all time will always be special, and the fact that it's your voice bringing it all to life makes it even more memorable. I just remember in the bottom of the eighth inning as they're panning out, going to commercial, and Vin looking into the dugout and saying, it doesn't appear Kirk Gibson will play tonight, which I stood up and said, my and told Mitch the bat boy, go set the tee up. And, uh, you know, we got into a pretty special moment after that. And look who's coming up. All year long, they look to him to light the fire. And all year long, he answered the demand. For that at bat alone, sayings like, it's a roll of the dice. Gibson's shaking his left leg, making it quiver like a horse shaking off a fly. Little number be an effort to run that far. Not a bad opening knack. So the Dodgers trying to catch lightning right now. Four three A's, two out ninth inning, not a bad opening act. And finally, Kirk Gibson's not the MVP this year. The MVP was Tinkerbell. 
But tonight, Tinkerbell backed off for Kirk Gibson. Classic Vinny, who else could get the Tinkerbell in there? She is gone! In my career, I had Ernie Harwell and Vin Scully, who are both in the Hall of Fame. They became great friends of mine, and they always gave me great wisdom and advice when maybe I didn't deserve it, but uh, great relationship before, even better after, and to this day, he always stops on and sees me, and it's very special to me. I think we've got a leading man, and many of them, between now and the end of this great 1988 World Series. Thanks for helping inspire me to put on my uniform that night and thanks for telling the story of our sport for so many years. It's an honor for me to have your voice attached to the soundtrack of my career. Vinny, congratulations on your Hall of Fame career. You're the best. Now, I got a great story about that game. I got a great story about that game. Um, it was, we, I was at a bar with a, uh, with a gal that I had been wanting to jump on for, I don't know how long. She finally decided to go to dinner with me and have, uh, drinks. And, uh, the game was playing and she, she was, I can't remember if she was Phil, I think she was Filipino and she didn't, she didn't really like baseball which is weird because Filipinos typically like baseball, but she didn't like baseball. So I was watching a game and she was talking to me and I was kind of answering her, uh, but I wasn't. I was kind of paying attention to the game. And Gibson hit that home run. The entire bar was watching the game. We were all watching the game. This is the first World Series Dodgers had been in in like 10 years. So we were all jumping when Gibson hit that home run. And one of the things a lot of people recognize, if you watch the home run, there's a car with the taillights. There's a car with the taillights. And Vin Scully said he, he saw it during the replay. But there's a car with taillights that's leaving because the Dodgers were, you know, supposedly they were going to lose. They were going up against Dennis Eckersley, one of the best relief pitchers in the major leagues that year. And suddenly the taillights stop. They, they brighten up because the car is stopping. We all saw that. Yeah, she never went out with me again because she was just like, well, you could pay attention to me. I was like, you know what, <laughs> Broad, this ain't going to work between us if I can't even watch. Yeah, Josie did that to me once during the 2016 presidential election. I said I wanted to watch a presidential election. She wanted me to go to a movie and watch some dance movie and that was just horrid. And then I come back and Trump's won the election. I, 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 I told her, you do that to me again. I even, I even told her to this year, you do that to me again, I will leave you. So this election, yeah, I am. if we're doing this, I'm going to watch the election results and we'll stay home. But that was a special moment. It was historic for me simply because I remember all of that stuff. There are certain things in life you always remember. Certain instances, you remember where you were. 9-11 was an example. This was an example. The United States defeating the Soviet Union is an example. But but this is this is iconic, the greatest moment in Dodger history. Now I had told you that not only was Vin Scully extremely Catholic, very Roman Catholic, okay, he was also very patriotic. This clip, I don't remember hearing 
Uh, I heard he had said it. And what's funny about this clip, I found this clip on... Um, I found this clip on, on Twitter. And then when I tried to record the clip, uh, Twitter took it down. And here's Vin Scully, who was a complete patriot, loves capitalism, loves the United States, making a call, actually not making a call, but talking about, get this, socialism. Listen. Socialism failing to work as it always does, this time in Venezuela. You talk about giving everybody something free and all of a sudden there's no food to eat. And who do you think is the richest person in Venezuela? The daughter of Hugo Chavez. Hello. Anyway, Owen oh 2. I'm sorry. I think that is the funniest clip. By the way, that's his example of storytelling. That's where he, he'll just talk. It's, he's talking in between pitches. Just thoughts streaming out. The reason he brought that up is because the player who had reached first was from Venezuela and didn't know what to do because Venezuela was falling apart. You know, a million percent inflation and things like that. And he wanted to go back and get his family and things like that. So he was talking about the player and his struggles. I, I can't remember the player's name, but he was talking about that player and the player struggles and, and all that. And he just started going off, yeah, a poor guy and socialism. This is exactly what happens. In another iconic, iconic play was in, I believe it was, yeah, 1976. And in 1976, uh, of course, it was the Bicentennial. And a couple of protesters, this happened in Chicago over in Cubs Stadium, Wrigley Field. A couple of uh demonstrators, what they were demonstrating, I have no freaking idea. I don't think anyone knows what they were demonstrating, probably, you know, cutting down trees or some crap, uh, ran onto the field with an American flag and started spraying the American, one of the guys brought it out there, started spraying the American flag with lighter fluid. But just like demonstrators like this, he's too stupid to realize he needs matches. So the second guy comes out with the matches. And then what happens is Joe Mun or um, um, Rick Monday jams over, figures out what's happening, jams over, grabs the flag, and runs all the way across the field with the flag. Security comes in, arrests these guys, and knowing Chicago, probably beat the crap out of them when they got when they got him into a, kind of a private space. And here's Vin making that call and basically saying what everyone says. Side, ball one, and wait a minute, there's an animal loose. Two of them, all right. I'm not sure what he's doing out there. It looks like he's going to burn a flag, and Rick Monday runs and takes it away from him. Monday, I think a guy was going to set fire to the American flag. Can you imagine that? And Monday, when he realized what he was going to do, raced over and took the flag away from him. And Rick will get an ovation, and properly so. And on the message board, it just says, Rick Monday, you made a great play. That's him. That's what he's about. America, America. And he always says baseball is America's game. 
It's America's pastime. He pushes this stuff. And he, he made a great, a beautiful speech on 9-11 where he talked about, I have to see if I have it, but he made a beautiful speech on 9-11 about how we need to get off the ground, rub the dirt of our, ourselves, and, and, and go forward. Let's not forget, Vin Scully, let's not forget, I haven't told you yet, but Vin Scully refuses to watch football because of the Kaepernick kneeling during the National Anthem theme scandal. This is a beautiful speech he made uh, after 9-11, when baseball finally decided, okay, we need to move forward. And by the way, that was a fantastic year. 2001 was a fantastic year for baseball. It was the year that the Yankees got to the World Series. It was a year when that disaster happened in New York. George Bush threw in the first pitch. The Yankees ended up losing the World Series in seven games to a plop single. But it was a fantastic year for baseball. But after 9-11, Vin Scully tried to help all his listeners to, to understand, yeah, but it's time to move on now. Listen. Good evening, Good evening. and welcome yeah. to welcome Dodger to Stadium. Stadium. All of us have experienced a litany of emotions, whether it would be shock, disbelief, and horror, followed by grief, mourning, and anger. All of us indeed have lost a lot. We've lost thousands of lives. We have lost some of our self-confidence. We have lost some of our freedom. And certainly, we have lost a way of life. The President of the United States has said it is time to go back to work. And so, despite a heavy heart, baseball gets up out of the dirt, brushes itself off, and will follow his command, hoping in some small way to inspire the nation to do the same. All of the ballplayers in the major leagues are wearing the American flag. Out of patriotism, yes. Out of love of country, yes but more so out of duty and of courage and to pronounce a national firmness of will. God bless us in our efforts. God bless America. You know, I was going to play a clip of Vin Scully's last game in 2016 when he retired. And that clip was, of course, what a way to conclude his career a walk-off home run in the 12th inning that would send the Dodgers to the playoffs. But it was, I think that's the best way to end it. Because that was one of his best speeches. And because the call was, of course, muffled because the crowd was screaming and routing and yelling and things like that. I'm going to miss the guy. I, 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 You know, even he, though he retired, it's still, he was there. I've been to maybe two Dodger games since I moved to San Diego in Dodger Stadium. And he was at both of them. It's just kind of hard that little bit dies in you when someone passes. Whether that be a family member, a friend, or 
just an acquaintance or just somebody that you've been living with every day by watching him on television. It's one of the reasons why I do these podcasts. I do them because I hope I make somebody happy. Not even money. I'm not making money here. Trust me, I'm not making money here. It's just, I like it. Okay, I hope you enjoy. We'll get back to regular news tomorrow. This is Gene, and you've listened to Dumbasses Talking Politics.